Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a rock star on the show. Misty, Mr. Misty, Mr. Cody Lures will be joining us here shortly. So stay with us and share this out. You're going to love this guy. Hang tight. And we are here. Let me bring Cody on. Cody, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ken. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's great to have you on. We have Brett Williams watching. What's up, Brett? Hey, Brett. How you doing, man? So, hey, um, share this out. You guys aren't going to believe what this dude does, what he knows. His experience is insane. So, share this out. So, so Cody... Um, I, you know, I started this show almost, it's been almost three years exactly, um, that I started this, uh, and, and dude, I I have heard some amazing stories. This is your life story. It's, you know, how you've overcome the hard times and what you did to get through them. And, um, you know, I want to, I want to, um, Hey, Darlene, I want to start with where you were born and raised. Why don't you tell everybody a little about yourself, where you were born and raised? Sure. So I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I'm actually a third generation Arizonian on both sides of my parents. And the reason I say that is because most people that live in Arizona are transplants. It's rare to be a native Arizonian, let alone a second or third generation. So Wow. I was born and raised here in Arizona in a town called Mesa, which is just outside of Scottsdale. And for the last nine to 10 years, I've been living in Scottsdale, Arizona. Wow. Now, I, I, you know, I've never been there, but I have heard that it's absolutely beautiful. It is. In my opinion, it's the best state. I've been blessed to be able to travel and sell real estate in over 27 different states, traveling for fun to almost every other state. And, and that's great, but I can, I can tell you, I am a little biased, but I can still tell you wholeheartedly that there's not another state I would rather be in, you know, by the way, we don't have hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes. So a couple of benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it only gets up to like 82 degrees in the summer. Oh yeah. You know, it's like sticking your head in in a oven is what we say. It's a dry heat. So it's not. I know. Dude, I lived in I lived in Vegas for a year and and oh. everybody's like, "Oh, it's a dry heat, it's a dry heat." And I remember I remember walking through a parking garage one day in July and it was windy and I couldn't catch my breath. It was so hot. The mm-hmm. it, it was like somebody holding a blow dryer right against your face. Totally. I was like, oh, "I can't breathe." Uh, totally, totally. It'll take your breath away. But the good thing about it is when you go find a shady spot, at least it drops a few degrees. Um, I sell a lot of real estate in Houston. And when I'm there during the summer, it is like, you can't, you can't get a break from the humidity. So yeah, dude, the, the, like you couldn't wear that shirt in Houston. It would, it would look different right now. That's for sure. 
it, it really would. It's it's the truth. The, the and here in Ohio we have that man. It's so humid. It's ridiculous. So, totally. but um, so so you grew up in Arizona, which is like, yeah, you're right. I I don't think I I know many people that that grew up there. Um, you grew up there, and and. That's so that's where you went to school and high school and all of that was in where in in Mesa, Arizona. In yeah, Mesa. I, grew up, I was really blessed. I grew up in a, in a beautiful part of North Mesa. Um, I went into a high school called Mountain View High School, which uh, they actually wrote a book about our high school. And it was and the title of the book was Accepting Excellence. So it was a really good write up of our neighborhood. And I told you I've lived in Scottsdale the last nine or 10 years, ever since I got home from living in East Hampton on an internship. Um, I'm selling a home right now, and it just happens to be in the same neighborhood I grew up in. I'll, you know, wow. I have a story about every house, and it's the first time I've really been back and spent some quality time in that neighborhood. And I actually breathe easier. I have a bigger smile on my face. It, it's amazing just uh, what being home feels like. Dude, I, you know, one of the, um, so you and I just met at Jeffrey Gittimer's mastermind, Jeffrey and Joe Soto. And, and one of the things I noted about you subconsciously is you are happy. You just have a, a happy energy about you. It's, oh, yeah. it, was, it was incredible. So, you know, yeah. I guess when you live in um, in Arizona, <laughs> it's easier to be happy all the time. Yeah, something to be said about that, actually, right? I mean, we have over 310 days of sunshine a year. Um, last year, I believe we, we had less than 15 days of rain, right? Wow. Opposed to Seattle, where it's the most depression going on because all, the, all you have is doom and gloom. So that's true. But yeah. my sunshine every day is my wife and my son. And that's awesome. I'll save my story on how I met my wife for later on the yeah. show. You'll yeah. like it though. Yeah. So so you, you did you end up when you got out of high school, did you go did you end up in college? I ended up in college a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah. You, did you graduate? I didn't graduate. It was the best seven years of my life though. Um seven. Yeah, I spent a Seven lot of years and you didn't graduate. I I didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> so I took a long route. My first year in college, I was actually a professional wakeboarder. I had a full knee replacement. I uh, missed a lot of school that first year. So that was kind of a wash. I got into the Arizona State uh, University's professional golf management program, which is under their W.P. Carey School of Business. I was already a business student, and this is now under the agribusiness school. And I thought, hey, I need to rehab my knee. I like to be athletic. I was an athlete my entire life. I was a three-sport athlete in high school. Um, wow! Competing and being competing and being competitive is something that I love. So when I lost the ability to wakeboard and and really walk for a while. Uh, that was hard on me, and I wanted to be able to, to find something I could get better at. So when I joined the professional golf management program, they had a criteria that you had to be a, a five handicap, and they said, what do you think you are? And I said, maybe a 25 or a 35. And um, anyway, I played 
two rounds of golf a day and practice for two or three hours on top of that for six days a week for the next three and a half years. And um, by the time I was 21, I was a plus two handicap. So I got a lot better at golf. And I was a junior at that time. And, and there's a three tier program. I was on the third tier. And part of that was you had to do a nine month internship and you couldn't be getting school credit while you were doing that internship. So I thought, hey, uh, what's the best place I can go? And the yeah. director of my program said, well, East Hampton, New York, it's in Long Island. It's an amazing golf course. I think it costs $600,000 to join the club and about $150,000 a year to retain your membership. So that just speaks to their to their membership and their clientele. Wow. Um, and I said, okay, cool. Who do you know I can talk to? Who can you help me out with in terms of interviewing? And he said, nobody. I just think it's a good course. So I did a bunch of research. I created a gigantic portfolio and I had just developed a practice facility, at a golf course that my friend's family owned. So I used this to create a, maybe a two inch thick uh, portfolio binder, sent it in and they put me through, I think 11 or 12 interviews just to go there and clean golf clubs for people. Wow. It was, very, it was intensive. Anyways, I got the internship. I went out there for nine months and had an amazing time, just like any college 21-year-old should in East Hampton. And uh, one of the members at the golf course really, really liked me and to a fact, to a point where he would invite me to his home, which wow. was a really, really neat experience, every Saturday to have a cocktail party with him and his friends. Um, and I remember one day he said, Cody, do you know how, do you know how much my home's worth or what do you think my home's worth? And I, I don't know. I have no idea. You're like two, 200 grand. <laughs> well, he, said, he said, well, me neither. This is something that I, this is, this was the start of my understanding of value is he said, well, me neither. And I said, what do you mean? He said, somebody just offered me $50 million for the property. And I said, no, not even close because this is my family's home. This is where we come. This is where we have memories. And, and it's as much, it's worth much more. And this is when Oprah's house just sold for 50 million, breaking a property record or a sales record. So wow. Uh, that just spoke volumes to me. And that was a great experience. And this guy said, you're, not, you're never going to make any money in the golf business. Flew me to New York City to meet with him at his office and gave me a, a path. And when I got home from New York, 72 hours after I landed in Arizona, I got a call from Blackstone Capital, which is one of the largest private equity firms in the world. And they said, uh, we're supposed to interview you and give you a job. So, so that's how I started in real estate. Blackstone Capital, like I've heard, I've heard of them, but are they in? They're in. They're in real estate. Oh yeah, gosh, yeah, they're in everything. Um, okay. They're the, they're the world's largest single-family homeowners now, thanks to the company they funded, which is called Invitation Homes. Wow, be three guys that went to my high school, uh, they graduated maybe ten or twelve years before me, that had a concept that they were buying distressed real estate. They were holding on to it for the long-term game and doing rental plays, rental property plays with it, and then they were going to sell it down in the, uh, you know, down the road. Well, when I joined their team, they had about 115 homes, and four months later, we were funded and we had deployed 14 billion dollars and bought 48,000 homes around the country, and it was, it was amazing. So we've got some people on here, man. Charles Coachman is a realtor. Yeah, um, he's up in um, he's in the Silicon Valley, so he's he's used to selling cheap real estate. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm kidding. My wife's watching. Hey, so there's Jill. Hi, Jill. 
Oh man. We had a great time out in, in, uh, in, in Charlotte, didn't we? Yeah. We had a great, great time. I wish I didn't have to leave early, but I had a birthday trip planned and yeah. Oh, happy birthday. That's right. Your birthday was yesterday, day before. I was, yeah, it was on Thursday, but but oh, I got your box, by the way, with those brownies, and oh my gosh, those are the best brownies I've <laughs> ever had. Those are amazing. Aren't they good? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, dude. So, so um, yeah, so, okay, so let's back up. Mm -hmm. I, I have a couple of questions. First, I, I want to know, because I think... I, I truly believe that people end up on a path in life as adults because of somebody else, a parent, a teacher, uh, uh, you know, is there anything you can recall or like comes to mind from childhood that kind of maybe helped pave your path that, that like you immediately went, yeah, it was my dog or my <laughs> yes for sure for certain my uh, my dad you're, get, you're is getting my, a call that's all right i'll take care of that <laughs> Sorry. my dad's my hero um i look up to my dad he's just he's everything to me and he used to always tell me and you can sell ice to an eskimo <laughs> and i didn't know what that meant at the time and uh he also used to always tell me you know what as long as you enjoy what you do you'll be you'll be rich, you'll be wealthy, and you'll be happy. So you could be the richest janitor in the world if you want to be, um, as long as you like pushing brooms. And so I've taken that to heart where I didn't need to follow a traditional route. I didn't need to graduate and get, get a nine to five job to do what I like. As long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I'm going to be good at it. And if I'm good at it, I'm going to be profitable at it. So it's like Deion Sanders says, look good, play good, play good, pay good, right? Yeah. Same concept. And then uh, the other the other thing that I was blessed and privileged with is besides a great father is a great mother. Who's the smartest and toughest person you'll ever meet, but she can speak to the president of the United States the same way she can speak to the janitor of the White House. And she'll do that every time. And I think that's such an amazing gift that she has. And, and I was blessed to receive that gift. Um I think it's I think it's extremely important to give your full attention and your full heart to everybody. Not one person deserves less of you or more of you. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So you get back from New York back to Arizona. And were you living in Scottsdale at the time or uh when I got so when I got home from New York, I came out here. Prior to that, I was in Mesa. Okay. So you came, you came back from New York and, and moved to Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Um, and did you go to work for Blackstone? Yeah. So I was working okay. for their subsidiary invitation homes. And so, um, okay. That's kind of why I didn't finish college. My mom, my mom and I were just talking about this yesterday. She would call me on a Tuesday or a Wednesday evening and be like, Hey, can, can we cook you dinner? Would you like to come over? And I'd say, mom, I'm in Atlanta or, um, you know, I, I'm, I bought some real estate in 17 different states. So she was calling me all, all days of the week and I'd be in a different state. She said, how are you doing your schoolwork? Well, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't even know you dropped out. Uh, well, I didn't drop out. I mean, I gave it, I gave it the old college try, you know, I just didn't make out. It just didn't, 
I didn't get passing grades. Oh, you so you got kicked out. <laughs> yeah. You were asked to pursue something else. Correct. Wow. Come back. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. awesome, dude. I love I love stories like that because I know I know you're killing it now, man. So 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 you get into real estate. Talk about that. How do you go from there? Well, I got into real estate as an admin assistant with uh, Blackstone Capital subsidiary. So I was low low man on the totem pole, and I put in a lot of hard work and a lot of hard effort. And I think I was the I was maybe the twenty second or twenty third employee in the subsidiary. And like I said, we got funding and it grew to a point where 14 months later, I was a director of national compliance, over 5,500 superintendents in, in the wow. 17 different states. And the only reason that happened was because of how much effort and how much uh, work I put into it. I earned a lot of trust from the senior leadership and the C-suites. Yeah. But furthermore, we did everything um, with our iPads and our iPhones and our, and our superintendents are construction professionals that have been writing stuff down. And when I got, uh, when I joined the company, they would have a packet essentially, right? And they would have to go through every home in each room in the home and write down what items needed to be fixed and how are they going to fix it and how much it was going to cost. And then they would do, they would be able to do one or two in a day. And then they'd bring that paper back to us and say, here, here you go. And wow. that was fine when you only had a few homes, but when you jumped up to 48,000 properties, which I think they're even close to 75,000 properties now. Um, but how do you, how do you scale that? How do you do that? So I was able to come up with an idea, Hey, let's supply them with iPads. We'll create a, an Excel sheet or a number sheet on it. We can even put drop downs and make it super efficient. And then we'll give them a photo card so they can upload their photos to the iPad while they're in the field and from going from one to two homes a day they went from three to five homes a day uh, as well as we're ramping up the number of superintendents so it was a massive money saver time saver and that's why we were able to continue getting investments from deutsche bank from blackstone capital from some of the largest uh, funders wow. out there which was amazing and as a 21 year old and 22 year old and 23 year old I was just trying to keep up with the big boys and trying to move and do what they asked me to do and trying to do it really well. And I, and I did do that and it worked out wow. for me. It, it taught me how to, how to move quickly. Did you get like a $50 million bonus for that idea? I got a, I got about $50 million in experience and that's it. That's awesome. <laughs> <I> <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. I mean, that's some pretty serious experience. Oh, it's a, oh man, oh man, I have nothing but great things. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was such a beautiful experience. Plus, yeah, they yeah. took they took care of me, and and the connections I made through it is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of moving fast, though, I think something that did help me there is Arizona is a nice place. You know, people are kind and happy, and you don't honk. We don't honk here. If you honk the horn in Arizona, there's a problem. And um. <laughs> When I went out to Long Island, New York for the first two months, I thought, man, nobody likes me. Everyone walks away from me and talks super fast. You know, no one likes me. And my mom told me, hey, oh, and they also, I was the only new employee within the last three years, I think. So they told me, yeah. hey, these are the uh, most wealthy, most important people on the planet. They don't have time to talk to you and they don't want to talk to you. So unless they ask you a question, don't speak to them. And that was pretty tough. And my mom told me, hey, you need to not be afraid of them. And the next person that, that pulls up into the parking lot, go shake your, their hand and introduce yourself. 
So the next wow. morning, this old 1990-something Toyota 4Runner kind of beat up, pulled into the parking lot. And I said, well, that's probably a member's guest. So I, I can shake this guy's hand. And I went yeah. over, took his hand, and he stopped and said, you know, you're the first employee that's talked to me in years. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he said, no, 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 I'm glad to know you, and gave me a $100 bill. It's a non, non-tipping club, so tips weren't normal. He gave me a $100 tip. And I thought, holy cow. And I walked back to the hutch where all the caddies and people were. And, and my boss said, do you know who that was? And I said, yeah, his name's Lloyd. And he said, yeah, it's Lloyd Blankfine. He's the CEO of Goldman Sachs. <laughs> and so I, I looked him up and his salary the year before was $184 million. And I just, Oh my God. Are you kidding me? No, nah, I'm not kidding. And I thought, man, if I can do that with him, I can talk to anybody. <laughs> and that's how I became friends. I got a bunch of personal references. I, I met Mitch Kupchak. He was my personal reference on one of my resumes when I tried to apply for the Bel Air. It was cool. I mean, I had some awesome connections out there just because my mom kind of gave me a slap on the ass. That's that, dude. That's that's so that's incredible. That's yeah, I feel I am. A hundred and eighty-four million dollar salary. That beats a sharp stick in the eye, doesn't it? Yeah. I met another guy out there. I was trying to talk to him, and uh, he said, "Cody, I." I just want you to know I've lost more money than you're ever going to make. <laughs> and oh, that my was, God. Wow. It was a pretty fun experience. It was very humbling, but very, very fun. Wow. So, so, so you, you get, you get back to Arizona. You're in, how long did you do the, the, the deal with, with about three um, years? Oh, three years. Okay. About three years. And then I took, took the money I made and I invested into a software development company which just just totally um, went kaput, and I lost all my money in three three and a half months. So I started over again and got um, back into real estate because I had met somebody while I was buying distressed real estate, and he said, "You're doing it wrong." And I wow. said, what do you mean? And he said, "You're buying distressed real estate at auction, but but auctions were created to sell the most luxurious things in the world. The city of Rome." was sold at auction about 500 years ago. And if you think about how a uh, Picasso or a Van Gogh or a high piece of antiquity would be sold, how would it happen? It wouldn't, you wouldn't walk into a showroom and there's a sticker price on it. They have what's called a vault auction, which is a 12 by 12 room. And they take six to seven high net worth individuals and they put them in this room and they trade the, the art or the antiquity or the asset silently in a manner that it's very respectful. And whoever has the most money on the table to end of the, auction wins right and i thought wow. that was interesting and he said so i'm doing that with properties that are two million dollars and above and it was a great experience to work with that company and i learned a lot i worked with them for about two and a half years and i became the senior auction manager <laughs> with them wow. in, in months because i just happened to um speak the language of the sellers and i, I mean i got a lot of great deals out of it to be honest with you jeez man it was so so, and that was what was the name of the company? Oh, oh, you don't want. Yeah. Okay, it was a good company, but now we're now we're competitors. Oh, gotcha. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, we don't want to. Yeah. So, so, so you did? Is that you did that and and went out on your own? Uh, of sorts, yeah, I did. I and and I got lucky enough to just partner up with um a guy that sold the most expensive home in the world at auction. I think it was $146 million. Wow. 
and he was in an uh, in the auction business with another auction firm, which I don't think as highly of as my last one. And uh, and he separated from them and made a software platform because he he wanted out of the marketplace. He wanted out of doing that business and thought, well, maybe if I can create a software that real estate agents can use and uh, use the model, it'll it'll be my ticket out. And the fact is real estate agents and sellers alike hear the word auction and they they think distressed properties, bank owned properties is going back to the, you know, it's a foreclosure, it's going back to the bank, right? Yeah. And so it's a stigma. And and so that's really the hardest part that he was having. And, and it forced him to get back into the marketplace and we happened to combine our forces and um, use his experience, use my experience, and we've created a super unique hybrid model where we've lowered the barrier in, of entry to our program. In a traditional uh, luxury auction setting, the sellers are paying a very high upfront marketing investment. I mean, I've seen people pay upwards to 165,000, but on average, there's 70 to 85,000 upfront investments from the seller. Wow. And that's the cost to market their property. On top of that, the the buyers are going to pay a 10% buyer's premium to the auction firm. So, you know, on a million dollar home, that's a hundred grand. On a five million dollar home, that's five hundred grand. And that's a big nut that the buyers have to swallow that, yeah. that they're not doing in traditional real estate. And furthermore, in order to perform, a lot of times these firms are saying, Hey, we're going to need you to put anywhere between a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh into our escrow account just to be their bidding and if look if you can buy a four million five million one million dollar property you can yeah. do it and and it's annoying and it's a hassle and it's almost inconvenient to pull money out of an interest bearing account just to show somebody that you want to buy this house so we removed right. that obstacle we lowered our buyer premium from 10 to 2 percent so we cut it by 80 percent and we've eliminated the upfront uh buyer or excuse me seller investment for marketing which has done so much for us because it's higher volume it's higher traction and it's and it's more participation which is exactly how you define the market value you don't define the market value with one buyer competing against the seller or one or two or three buyers you do it with multiple so Charles is asking, was that in the time was of the REOs? When I was at Blackstone? Yes, sir. Buying lots of them. What's an REO? It's a bank owned property. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so you, what year did you go out on your own? 2018. Okay. So, wow. Just four, three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Maybe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, into 2017, you know, probably uh, first quarter 2018. So yeah, about three years ago. So you, um, at some point, and I, I've, I have heard a version of how how you met your wife. At, at what point did you meet your wife? Um, you, you like me, you married out of your league. <laughs> like so much, so it's so true. Yeah. yeah, I um, met my wife when I sold her parents' home in Houston, Texas, and so I so I met her parents in February, and I walked through their property, and I remember seeing a bunch of their family photos and seeing my wife's picture and thinking, "Wow, like that, she's cute." Yeah. Can't say anything though. And fast forward to May, I sell their home. It's a five-week process. I show their home for four weekends while I'm marketing it for marketing it for five. 
uh, weeks. So the whole campaign that I'm at the actual property, I never see her in person. Her stepdad's six foot 10, six foot 11 inches tall, super type A personality. Her mom's very petite and cute. So it was an interesting, you know, I'm being spoken to very softly and sweetly and then very aggressively by this tall person. <laughs> so I was already going back and forth. Anyways, I told him their house was going to sell between 2.8 and $3.2 million. In four weeks, I did 324 showings. I had uh, nine people registered to bid and I ended up selling the home for $3.25 million. The wow. highest home to ever sell in that community ever was $1.56 million. So I basically doubled that and, wow. and I did good. And, uh, they said, <laughs> and they said, Hey, thank you. And you did good. Can we do anything for you? Can we help you? And I said, actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the girl in the picture. I saw your daughter in a picture and I think she's cute. I'd like to take her out. And they, uh, text me <laughs> the next morning at 6am. Her stepdad texted me and said, Hey, were you serious? And I said, yeah. And he said, give me a minute. And a couple hours later, I had a date set up with her. And uh, oh, my God, little little did they know. Three months later, we'd be engaged and pregnant. But wow. hey, it's the way that the world spins. It's the way the Lord works. And, and that's what happened. Wow, dude, that's so awesome. That, what an awesome story. So, so your bonus was a date with their daughter. <laughs> yeah. People so keep calling it a bonus, but for some reason I thought you were supposed to get paid with those and I keep spending money. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny, dude. Yeah. So, so you, um, so talk about, you know, some of the, the stuff that you, that you're doing that conventional real estate because I, I found you talked a little bit about it and and look i'm not in real estate so some of it was was a bit foreign to me so explain it so the lay person who doesn't understand real estate explain it so they can understand yeah for for sure they meaning me <laughs> i understood understood so in traditional real estate and traditional real estate came about in the United States in the early 1900s. But if you look at how people in Australia or New Zealand sell homes, it's called on the green or on the lawn. And what that does is uh, they put all the interested buyers that have to, they have to stand on the front yard or in the front yard and they raise their hand to tell the buyer or the seller how much they'll pay for their home. It's called an auction here in, in America. They just don't call it that there. Anyway, in America, we said there's a better way to do it. We're going to get attorneys involved because then we have to pay them and we're going to have title companies involved because we have to pay them and we're going to have real estate agents involved for security. In the past, in the past, when markets weren't so strong and in the past, uh, when buyers weren't so savvy, you needed just like you needed a travel agent to book a flight in, in the past before you could get on, you know, uh, uh, truly uh, or any of these other sites to book flights you needed a travel agent you needed the same thing to market your home to other real estate agents that had buyers but since the advent of the internet since the internet's been created buyers have become researchers right they're much more educated and they have all the information at their fingertips so yeah. there is no need for that middle person anymore because you could go and sell your house for sale by owner and put it on zillow or you could hire a real estate agent that lists it on the MLS and it gets syndicated to Zillow. So 
everyone's going to the same spot, essentially, not just Zillow. I'm not advocating them. I actually don't like them. It's just the commonplace. Right. Um, but that's what's happening in traditional real estate. Again, in Arizona, the market is absolutely insane. So their homes are getting multiple, multiple offers. And I'm talking like 20 to 30 to 40 offers. Wow. And it's of my experience that traditional real estate agents don't know how to handle that situation because they're not used to it. And I still represent buyers traditionally. And I've actually had appointments scheduled and the agent calls me and says, uh, we're going to have, we're going to cancel your appointment because we already received an offer that we want to accept. Or please do not submit an offer because we've already received too many. Wow. And I just think like, well, what if I was going to offer more? Or what if my offer was better in some form or function of it, right? Yeah. That's not in your best interest as a real estate agent. It's not in the buyer's best interest because it's cutting the future value of the home. And it surely isn't in the best interest of the seller who's trying to make the most money possible. Right. You agree with me on that? Yeah. Yep. And by the way, when there's 20 or 30 offers, multiple offers, doesn't that sound a whole lot like a auction? <laughs> yes. So, yes, it does. So we've created a platform that uh, shines a spotlight on a property because this is the only property that's going to sell for the best and highest offer on this price. And you're the market. So we're not demanding a, uh, you spend this amount of money. We're actually asking you to tell us how much is this home worth? You get, you get to be the judge, number one. And number two, we're establishing an arena that the buyers have to compete on against each other rather than negotiating against the seller. And when you're competing, you're going up. When you're negotiating, you're going down. So this gives the seller the best op opportunity to drive the price as high as possible. But it what about what about the um, appraisal? What if it appraises at two million and the auction's at two point three million? That means the buyer just has to cough up the cash. Yeah. Or, yeah. So when we're talking luxury properties like that, what yeah. you'll really find is that most people are spending cash up front. And then they're going to go and pull the money back out after the afterwards in, in a refinancing deal. You know, they'll restructure it that way because they can make more money in the market with their money yeah. invested. Yeah. Um, but if somebody is getting a, uh, a loan and it happens to be that case, they're going to have to come up with the money because our sales are as is and no contingencies. They have to put $20,000 in non-refundable money into our escrow account as earnest money after the auction once they become the high bidder and they have 24 hours to do that if for some reason after that 24 hours their funding falls through or something changes they give that twenty thousand dollars up um so wow. because of that we have a lot of teeth in our contract we don't have any fallout in our program we don't have to worry about buyers having buyers remorse and backing out we don't have to worry about losing any strides in our step that's that's what we do that's incredible, dude. Yeah. How many states we well, we do the due diligence up front too, which is probably important to, to mention at that point. Um, but I don't make you go pay $1,000 to get your own inspection. I actually have my seller provide us with the seller property disclosure statement, a home inspection, a title report, survey, anything you need in a traditional sale, including the HOA bylaws and CCNRs. And I package that up and I give it to the buyers after they've registered because I want to be transparent. Um, wow. Yeah they'll set you free, right? So communication just helps the, the process go. And as long as the buyers are aware of that and know that this is an as is no contingency sale, 
this is how it's going to work. Everyone's happy. That's incredible, dude. It is. And my wife just said, brilliant. Oh. I agree. Justin Benton's on here. We've got Justin, Dan Altmeyer. My gosh, we got some, some amazing people on. So Charles wants to know how many states you're active in. So I've had my license in nine states. I'm active in three right now. Um, but the way that I sell, Charles, is, for example, let's say you have a property and you, and you want to introduce this, this platform. Well, whatever your listing agreement is, whatever your deal with the seller is, that remains the same. So let's just say it's a 6% uh, standard deal, 3% for you, 3% for the buyer's agent. Then you and I would work in tandem to market the property and run the auction. And I get paid a 2% buyer's premium on top of the hammer price. So let me give you an idea is let's say uh, we, you and I sold a, sold a home for $10 million out there in Silicon Valley, 200,000 of that would come to me and the property would actually record at $10.2 million. Wow. And this, wow. It's incredible what you're doing, man. It's incredible. Well, I, it's a great tool, right? I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a place for everything. There's a place for traditional real estate. There's a place for, um, for FISBOs, if you will, maybe I could maybe argue that, but there, and for this FISBO means for sale by owner. That's yeah. when I, when a seller wants to sell without an agent, but this is just another tool for the real estate agent. So you have another tool in your tool belt, go to your listing appointment and, and pitch them the traditional one. That's what every other real estate agent's doing, right? But you need a point of differentiation. What separates you? What makes you better? What's going to get you this listing? Well, I do have this idea. I can help you get your home sold depending on what the value of the home is. Let's say it's two plus million. I can help you get your home sold in 30 days or less for top dollar. It, what? How do you deal with the, the negative stigma of selling your home at auction? Because there's got to be, and we mm -hmm. talked a little, you and I talked a little bit about this. Um, there's, you know, this negative stigma maybe that oh you're on the auction block that means you're you're losing your, everything and it's all fall but that's not it's not obviously not true but how do you deal with that yeah no that's a great question and and there's two sides of the coin on it right so from the seller's perspective it's hard because a lot of these people are are ego driven even if they don't I want to admit that they don't want their neighbors to think, oh my gosh, you know, Bob's losing his house going to the bank. You're going to look like the village idiot for the next four <laughs> weeks while you have an auction sign in front of your house. But I promise that you're going to be the smartest person in the world once the property sells. Um, on average, it's a NAR statistic that for every million dollars that your house is priced at, it'll be on the, on the market for a year. And that's an average national statistic. So it may change from, from market to market, but that means a $2 million home will be on the market for two years. If you can sell your home for thir in 30 days or less for top dollar without lowering the price once, you did something right. You're going to look like a genius. And the best part, the best thing I can tell you is if you can buy or build a two plus million dollar home, you're a big boy. You didn't get there because you're dumb. Right. And you understand what market value means and you have the stomach to bear it. And if you don't, then you're just not like a good fit for my program. But most of the people I talk to fit that mold. 
Dude, uh, this you're, you're you're a genius. When your auction begins, how many days do you run the auction? Three days. So I just opened one up yesterday. It opened at uh, 7 a.m. Arizona time. It's going to close on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Arizona time. So it's about a 36-hour auction. We have 30 people watching the auction. I've already got my first two bids. And uh, it looks like right now it could sell for a deal. Whoever buys the property right now may be getting a great deal. But we'll find out because the clock's ticking. And there could be more and more participation, and that's uh, we'll see what happens. So, so now, is there a minimum? What's it? What do you call that? A minimum yeah, amount, or exactly a minimum bid or a starting bid? Is I like to call it a starting bid because that's more progressive. Uh, and we started this auction, for example, at one point two five million. Is that the minimum that the seller is willing to take? Yeah, yeah, the seller is willing to take the best and highest offer, regardless of price, and. Um, that's because it's a free and clear title, right? So we don't have a, a lien or a debt that we have to cover. Cool. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't tell you what the median price in Arizona is, but I know last month in February, homes over a million dollars sold at 112% of the list price. Jeez. But- um, That is crazy, dude. Yeah. So we started this one at 1.25. It was traditionally listed for about five months before I got involved at $2 million. So okay. the reason I tell you that is because we like to start the auction at about 60% of the value. 60% of the value gives the seller enough comfort or safety net to feel like at least he's not getting robbed. And it gives the buyers enough um, incentive and motivation to get involved because that's still a good deal. Yeah, it is. Sure. So, so it was appraised at 2 million? Correct. And you started at 1.25. Mm -hmm. Will it get up to the 2 million? We're going to have to see. I'll come back <laughs> on Wednesday. Well, how how does it normally go though when you when you do these? I mean, yeah, normally it'll, it yeah. Normally, um I can tell you that we have a 94% success rate of selling at or above our range of value and that's the list wow. price. Uh, the reason that happens is because we're not making the number up. This is, this is, it's a mathematical equation. It's numbers. And to be in the real estate field, it's not that hard. All you need to know how to do is add, subtract, and maybe multiply. Wow. Uh, that's the way that, that's the way I like to look at it. My sister would sell it at around 1.5 million. That's um, John Morgan. He's the, the number one, um, impersonator of of former president george w bush that's right i watched that show that was oh, dude, he's freaking hilarious man. i thought you had george bush on for a minute i was like no way what um yeah so did i when i first met him glenn brought him on our show it was incredible so so right quick to that last point this is the best part is the program is super transparent and helpful for both sides i'm we're not selling snake oil to one side or the other because now the seller may think let's use Mr. Morgan as an example. And his sister wants to sell at 1.5 and she's, I'm sure she's very nice and sweet, but none of the buyers care what she wants to sell it at. They care what the market value is. And the only way they're going to spend 1.5 million is if they have to. And the only way they have to is if they're competing. Okay. So let's say that we started that auction for her at a million dollars and the number went to 1.4 million and it yeah. sold out at 1.4 million. But we had 
eight people or nine people competing and drove the number. Well, that is the market value. If you have multiple people competing, let alone just coming and seeing the property, that's the market value. And now you have an opportunity to say, fine, I was wrong in my assessment and I will accept this or, or I won't accept it. It doesn't matter if I don't, you know, um, it doesn't. Oh make yeah. I guess the seller wouldn't have to accept a bid doesn't have to. So dude, it, that is so smart. And then, and on the flip side of the coin, look at the buyers, the buyers need a reason to increase their initial thought value of the property. So yeah, I, that house is going to need $200,000 to fix. So the highest I'm going to go is $1.25 million. And then they go to 1.25 million and then Ken outbids them with 1.3 million. And they're like, you son of a bitch. I'm not <laughs> losing this house. <laughs> <laughs> is it worth it? I, I guess so because somebody else thought so. So yeah, one point three five million. It's that's uh, that dude. That's economics one hundred and one. Something is worth what the the market is willing to pay. Period. And that works on both sides of the table. So it helps the sellers create an actual uh, a realistic expectation to the price of the market, and it helps the buyers do the same thing. <laughs> dude. <laughs> And he says it with a smile. I love yeah. it, dude. That's freaking brilliant. It's brilliant. Thank Absolutely you. brilliant. Wow. I'll, I'll I love this. On this one, um, Earl Nightingale, I've done a lot of reading and studying and things uh, in the last two and two and a half years since I found Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich in late 2018. Yeah. I must have been the most pessimistic person I've ever met in my life. And I just finished a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Absolutely changed everything in my life. I, yeah. I, go get it. Tell me if you want it and I'll send it to you. It's such a good book. Everyone should read it. But anyways, I've been doing a lot of uh, just diving and researching into personal development. And Earl Nightingale is one of my favorite people to listen to, especially with that great radio voice. And he says something. He says, 19 out of 20 people have no idea why they wake up, put their boots on and go to work. You know yeah. what? You said that at the mastermind and I wrote it down and I know I've heard it before, but I'm like, I'm like so true. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's all right. They just, they just do it because everybody else does it. Yeah. My question to, to you, if you're a traditional realtor or to you, if you're a seller and you have your house listed is why are you using the photos you're using? Why are you using as many photos as you are using? Why do you have the sign that you have in the front yard? And why are you using the vernacular you're using to describe the property? Can, can you tell me why you're doing it? Can you give me one reason? Or are you just doing it because that's what all the other properties and listings look like? I just yeah, You said something interesting in Charlotte. You said, because you can go to some of these, these listings on realtor.com or, or Zillow or wherever. And there's, you know, 800 photos of the property and which is cool, man. You can sit here and click through every one of them and picture yourself in there. And, and, and you can literally make your buying decision without leaving your house. That's right. Without leaving your house or ever going and seeing the property. Right. Which this is, is not emotional as a listing agent. You want people coming in and showing or That's seeing right. it. That's right. The hardest part of selling real estate is getting people to the door. 
I mean, you got to get people to the door to get emotional, right? That's yep. that's number one thing. So I got 164 photos of my house on the internet, and I've only had one showing in the last year. Well, why? Because <laughs> I don't have to come see your house to know what that what that looks like or feels like or sounds like. Um, and, and then furthermore, hey, you got a $2 million home with a 3% listing agreement. That's a $60,000 check. Joe Schmo calls you at you know, doesn't even matter. Call it 2.30 in the afternoon on a Wednesday and says, hey, I'm five minutes away from the property and I want to come see it. Will you, can you meet me there now? Hell yeah, I can meet you there. I want to make 60 grand. Not my program. No, no, no. We just did the house in Mesa. I just did over 165 showings in four weeks. There's no way I could accommodate 165 showings if I was following their schedule. So the way we do it is we show the property Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 3 by appointment and an open house format. So you can come and see the home. Well, my buyer's only in town on, on Wednesday and Thursday. Well, if your buyer likes the home and can buy a $2 million house, they can get on an airplane and come see the property on Saturday <laughs> or Sunday. <laughs> and, and you know what that does is it controls the sale because oh. buyers are used to having the bull by the horns, right? They're used oh, to having the, the contract slanted on the side of them. And now we're tilting the table to have the seller be in control of it because the seller is the one that owns the asset. The seller should be the one in the power seat. So this is what we're going to do. Not in a rude way, but just because it's economical. And then number two, I want all my buyers to see each other. I want them to see that they drive just as nice at the other. I want this buyer to see that the other buyers drive just as nice of cars as them, wear just as nice of clothes as them, have just as nice of families as them. Dude. It's going to be a competition. There's a great opportunity, but it's going to be a competition. Dude, this it's just it's brilliant, man. Charles wants to know what's the most expensive home you've sold via one of these auctions. The most expensive I've personally sold is 11.3 million. The most expensive my partner sold is 143 million. Um, and then there's one that's about to close that uh, his old company just sold, and I think it was around 165 million. Dude. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. I mean, eleven point three million, and what what were they hoping to get out of that? Ten five, eleven. Yeah. So you sold it for more than they were hoping to get. Yeah. Do you get to keep the difference? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I no, I don't. Um, I'm kidding. I well, let me. Just, let, this is this is a good question. Is is I've done net listings in the past and that, and they're fine, but I don't do that because I want my seller to feel motivated to, to pay me and to participate. And so I've had some real estate agents tell me when you get into the more expensive homes, you should be cutting your commission because, you know, like call it a $10 million home. If someone was going to pay me $200,000 to go sell their $10 million home in the next year, you know, I'd take that in a heartbeat. Well, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But like, what if you could sell it for 10.5 million? Don't you think you should charge more? And by the way, selling a $10 million home is going to take a little bit more effort and upfront resources from you. So you need to collect on your ROI. So you should be charging more. I I think, I think you got to partner with the seller and say, look, this is what I'm going to make because this is what I'm going to do. And, and guess what? If you have a $1 million home, or a $10 million home or a $500,000 home. You understand this. I want to motivate the person that's going to make me money. Yeah. That's how um, I make money. It's unbelievable, dude. 
like it, 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 you're in 100% total control of the entire transaction. And, and it's amazing. It's amazing. Charles says, so Cody asks those questions, flashes that smile and you question what the hell you're doing. <laughs> so that it's, it's, it's incredible because it does put you in the unique position of being in control for the seller of the property. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. Brilliant. It's thank a brilliant, brilliant strategy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm actually, like I said, we're running one right now and it, it's a, uh, it's extremely fun to watch everything happen. And so my seller and I were on a call last night and of course he's nervous. <laughs> What's happening? You know, Hey, patience, <laughs> patience. We have right now we have, you know, I think 50 hours, 52 hours left in our auction. That's an eternity. That's an eternity in terms of auction. So we just be patient. Somebody asked a question earlier and I want to, I want to, um, it was Justin said, do most of the offers come in at the last second? Yeah. It's like a pressure cooker. Uh, I almost feel like a lot of the buyers don't believe me or they want to test me uh, and not me, but the process. Right. Yeah. And then once they realize, Oh my gosh, there's an hour left. What this does is it, when you define a timeline that anything's <laughs> going to be sold on, you create a sense of urgency and you peak the buyer's FOMO and the closer it gets to the auction period, it's like a pressure cooker in their mind. And they're like, Oh my God, I gotta go. And that's when you'll see people register. You'll see people place bids and, and uh, things happen. Dude, that's absolutely amazing. Thank I, you. I mean, absolutely amazing. Charles says it's a true partnership between the seller and Cody Lures. It is. And the real estate agents too, Charles. We can do it together, man. <laughs> Look, he's smiling again. Uh, <laughs> It's hard not to when I talk with you guys. This is this is the, my favorite thing to do is just go back and forth with you guys. It, it's it's incredible, dude. So so let me ask you a question. You know this this is all about this show's all about overcoming the hard times and and breaking through those walls. And you know, has there ever been a time in your life where you know you couldn't pay your bills or you know? What, yep. what, what, what's for dinner? Cause like, you know, I, I don't know if McDonald's value meal is really an option. H have you ever been in that position? I've, I've certainly been in that position. And, and it was uh, right after I invested in that software development company and I was super proud and prideful and I didn't take any wise counsel and I didn't ask for forgiveness. And I didn't think I could lean on my parents who of course wanted the best for me and would have done anything. And I remember, um, this is not something I talk about a lot, but I remember having a hard time and my mom came into my house and I didn't even have electricity. So, you know, she was crying. She paid for me to have electricity for that month and things got back on track um, financially, but that was definitely a dip. Definitely not the hardest dip of my life though. I'll tell you that much. I mean, I've been blessed with everything and, and I'll continue to be blessed and money's cyclical. It comes and goes and right now it's coming and then it goes as soon as my wife gets a hold of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, in 2016, I was selling a home in Big Pool, Maryland. So all the way across the country. And 
it was a rainy day. The roads were 35 miles an hour and I was going 60 in a Toyota Camry and, and hydroplaned right into a utility pole. So I had a single car accident and I shattered my right hip in two spots. And um, I was wow. in Mennonite County. I think I'm saying that right. You know, it's like the Amish people, but they're called Mennonites. Yeah. And, and one of them found me and called the ambulance. Um, and I had rolled down a 16 foot ravine. So I was in this big ravine stuck in trees and, and the ambulance came and extracted me and got me out, took me to a hospital and I had, my phone was dead and was in the car. So I had no way of calling anybody and didn't know anyone's number except my mom or my dad's off the top of my head anyway. But that hospital couldn't take care of me and they took me to a second hospital. And they said, well, if that first hospital can't do anything, why, why would they bring you here? We can't do anything. So then they sent me to York, Pennsylvania, out of the state to the third hospital where I finally got a call, my, my parents. And I remember I called my dad and I said, hey, dad, what are you doing? Um, and this was three days after my accident. And I said, hey, dad, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just hanging out with your mom right now. Uh, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I, I got to tell you something, uh, but you can't react. And he said, okay. And I said, I got in a big car accident and I broke my hip. And he said, oh, man, that's crazy. <laughs> and, wow. I said, and I said, uh, yeah. And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, I need you to fly out here. So the next morning he got on an airplane and flew out to Pennsylvania and woke me up and checked on me and made sure I was all right. And then he said, uh, said, you ready for the hardest part? And I said, yeah, what is that, dad? And he said, you got to call your mom now. Because, <laughs> mm. you know, my mom, uh, my mom and my dad are married. They're great. But my dad's real calm and comforting. And, yeah. uh, and he talked me through it and helped me. And, and then my mom came out and I had surgery out there. I had two titanium plates put in my hip, nine screws. I had a dose of radiation to kill some bone spurts. Jeez. And they, they, yeah, they, um, long story short, I didn't walk for four and a half months. I was oh non weight bearing, couldn't get out of bed. I had to, I had a two story home that I obviously couldn't live in with, uh, crutches and non and not walking. So I had to go live at my parents' house in a hospital bed. We rented one for four months and I, and I slept in their entertainment room. Um, wow. And that's when I sold that $11.3 million house though. Uh, while I was not walking, but on a, <laughs> on the auction block. <laughs> but that was the hardest time of my life, man. I uh, couldn't walk, super depressed. Um, not 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 depressed for any reason other than I just couldn't get out and active. I went up to like 220 pounds, and I had to have a I had to have a reconfiguration of my thoughts and of what I was doing. And once I started getting better and I could start swimming and stuff, my dad would take me to the country club with them. And we'd, we'd do lots of, of water rehab. And, and I used to tell him like this, I feel like I'm back in summer camp, you know, like <laughs> I'm doing my laundry, have food and groceries every day and everything's awesome. Um, so that was, the, that was a huge experience in my life because I couldn't get up and I had to rely on other people and, and, the, and the people that, that I did rely on were very reliable. They, yeah. you know, they helped me uh, more than I could ever imagine in that. Wow. That's, yeah. It's really a strong way to, to remind you to be selfless because they were very selfless for me. In that accident, were you, were you conscious? I mean, did, or did it knock you out or? Knocked me out. Yeah. Knocked me out. Yeah. I have a big scar on my chin and, um, 
Jeez. The airbag came out. So when I came to, my car was leaning over the ravine and I, you know, ringing in my head because I just got popped by the airbag and everything. And it was, it was tough. And actually, um, my mom, my mom's dad, my grandpa Bill came, he's passed away when I was 12. He, he got in the car with me and, and talked, you know, his spirit. And, um, wow. He saved me, I think. So. Wow. Dude. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. It was, I mean, it wasn't cool. It, it is now. Uh, definitely was a unique experience. Wow, dude. That's incredible. What a story. Holy crap. So what do you think in your opinion? And I, I ask, I ask a couple of questions. I, I want your opinion about what do you think yeah, my, you just gave my wife and me goosebumps, probably a lot of people goosebumps. So, so what do you think holds people back from, from having real financial success in life and, and real happiness and joy? What do you think is holding them back? Their level of service. Say more. If you want more, all you have to do is increase your service. If you want less, all you have to do is decrease your service. So if you want more happiness, go serve some more. If you want some money, go serve some more. That is the very best answer ever to that question in 350 interviews. Thank you. I, thank you. That's the Earl Nightingale. Dude, serve more if you want more. How, how, what's that mean to you though? I mean, because you don't make money until somebody calls you or you, whatever reach you, you, you come to an agreement to put their house on, on, on your auction and then it sells. Um, once it sells is when you make money, right? Which is 3%, I guess of, or six or whatever, if there's no yeah, other age involved. What I make is elastic depending on the deal. Like you just said, depending on, yeah. on a lot of variables, the payments elastic and, and yeah. yeah, you have to increase, uh, you have to increase and also provide just a high level of service if you want to get paid in your job place. But, um, give me one second. I'll just explain what my thought on it is. Yeah. Is, is money is not necessarily real and it's a necessity, but it's not a necessity for happiness. And, and the real wealth in the world is happiness. And if you want to be happy, go to a food kitchen and serve some homeless people or some less fortunate people some food and see how you feel about yourself afterwards. Um, go help somebody take groceries in. Go do anything you can do to help a neighbor because everybody's your neighbor according to the Bible, not just the people that live around you or next to you. But go be neighborly and, and see how happy you make them and how happy that makes you and watch how happy that makes God and what he returns in your life for living in a way that he wants you to in a way that the Bible tells you to. It's absolutely amazing. The gifts that you'll be provided, the things that'll be released to you when you, when you live selflessly and you're not trying to, to be in the rat race, but when you have to work and I understand that because I work and I have I have a two-year-old kid and I have a, a wife that's 14 weeks pregnant. So I have to also work and can't just hope for, for things. But hope is, excuse me, faith is hope in the unseen, which you have to have in tune with hard work. And I think that's the key. Dude, I, I, I'm, 
I'm going to cut that piece of this interview and, and I'm going to use it on, I'm going to blast that everywhere. That, that was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> and you're a thousand percent right. I have, I have, you know, a, a tie on to that question is, you know, there was this, this day that Jill and I, um, you remember, you remember the guy, the guy, Bill was texting my wife when we were all <laughs> staying. <laughs> when, when he asked her, Hey, how long are you going to be in Charlotte? Yeah. 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 I'm like long enough for you to get your butt kicked. <laughs> so, so, but when, when somebody, <laughs> dude, that was, you were cracking up. I was but, dying, dude. <laughs> I'm like, Hey Bill, long enough for you to get your, so, 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 um, you know, my wife and I opened an office years, years ago, we opened up our first office and, and I remember we had some employees and, and all the employees were getting paid. We weren't necessarily getting paid, mm -hmm. um, but they were. And one day, uh, one of my guys comes in my office. Hey, uh, there's a, there's a dude out, out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, well, dude, you're bigger than me. Go out there and tell him, get the hell out of here. Why are you telling me? And he's like, well, He's got it blocked with his tow truck. And I was like, oh, no. And so, so, you know, and you can't talk a repo guy out of taking your car. It doesn't work. And I remember in that moment, Cody, feeling like the biggest loser on planet Earth. I felt like there's no hope. Like, uh, what's the point? And as you know, in 2020, it kicked a lot of people right in the ass and, and, and suicide rates went skyrocketed. And, and, you know, what do you say to somebody who's, who maybe they can't pay their electric's been shut off or it's getting shut off or their car's been repoed or they can't, they, they don't have a mom and dad to turn to that can bail them out or help them out in any way. Right. Like what, what do you say to that person that may be going through that in this moment? What do you say to them to help them get through to the next moment? I, I'll tell you what I would say, but I think it's a lot less important what you say and a lot more important that you're there. Um, that you're there with them. And there's things that, that I would be able to repeat back to you that, that I've read and that I digest. And that is that God's on your side. And if God's on your side, who can be against you and he'll put you through situations that are going to bless you in the future. And every day is a new day. Every day is it going to be different? Could be better. Could be worse, but every day is a new day and it's created uh, for you to, to, to follow your faith and and be as hopeful as possible. And you have to be renewed, excuse me, be, be refreshed by renewing of your mind. And you do that by concentrating on everything that that is lovely in this world. So um, think of the, the most beautiful locations you've been to. Think of the most beautiful people you've been with. Think of the most generous gifts you've ever been given or have given yourself. And think about everything great. Don't think about everything negative. Don't think about how hungry you are or where your next dollar is coming from or or my phone's ringing and, and you don't even want to look at it because you think it's a creditor. Think of that as money coming in. Think of that as your next customer. Think of that as your next opportunity. You have to change the way your mind works 
because you can think yourself into and out of situations. So if you're in a bad situation, think yourself out of it. You want to get into a good situation, think yourself into it. And you have to do that by refreshing your mind every day by thinking of, of what what's beautiful. Dude, that's amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. Is all your um, social media on CodyLures.com? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I just actually launched this new website, and uh, I love it. So I'd love for you guys to go check it out and let me know what you think. But all my social media is there. You can also take a quiz to define your dream home. You have to define your dream home before you can find it. And you can also set a seller, uh, seller consultation appointment with me. A seller strategy meeting is what we call them. Dude, that is absolutely what you are doing. And in nine states as of right now, what you're doing is, is absolutely going to change the, it's going to flip the entire real estate industry upside down, man. People need to take a different look. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what needs to happen is there's a restructuring going on and um, we're so educated. We might as well continue doing that and figure out a new way to, to sell properties, sell cars, sell anything. Florida, John, yes, sir. Florida would be, be great. Are you in Florida? Yeah. My family owned a hotel out in Florida in the Keys, so I love going out there. I've sold homes in Coral Gables, Miami, South Beach. So There's your new neighbor. That's right. Doug, hey, Doug, how you doing, man? I love Doug, man. Such a good dude. Such a good dude. So cool. I love spending time with Doug. Cody, you are a freaking rock star, man. I think anybody watching right now, don't even hesitate. Like, you know you want to reach out to Cody? Do it. Just do it. Like, yeah. reach out to him. and Because, dude, you and I have just talked on the phone, and I, I, I have no... Right. As of right now, I have no dog in the hunt. Like, but you know, you've spent time just talking and, and, you know, masterminding and you're, you're, you're brilliant, man. You're brilliant. So I appreciate it. I really do. And I'm really glad that I got to connect with you. Who's the ultimate connector. I really am glad to spend time with you and, um, yeah, let's find out how to get you paid, man. Let's figure out how to get you in the game. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Look, ABC always be closing. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. You rock, man. You rock. Cody, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and spending some time with us today. Everybody watching, go to CodyLures.com. Click on all of his social media. Follow him everywhere. Cody, you are a real rock star, man. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. I'm so, so happy to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who watched and shared this out. And if you didn't share it out, there's still time. You can redeem yourself right now. Just share it out. Share. Share it out, man. Cody, thank you. Thank you. See ya. All right. We'll see you guys later. Cody, stay with me. I'll see you guys later.